Heritage Church. As they are being dismissed, I want to remind everyone that for Easter Sunday, we will not have kids' church. Uh, We want our children to be in church with us on Easter Sunday. Uh, We believe that uh, that sometimes worship is something not just that's taught, but that's caught. Uh, And so there are going to be some Sundays throughout the year where we invite our kids to stay with us. That means we're going to have to have a little extra patience on Sunday morning. It's going to be louder, and that's okay. Uh, I would rather it be loud because kids are being rambunctious than it be bone quiet because we don't have any children. Uh, And so we are thankful for the gift of children. And so just wanted to remind everyone of that. If you have your Bibles this morning, I encourage you to open up to the book of Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We're going to continue and walk through the book of Philippians as we look at verses 12 through 21, growing in maturity. Growing in maturity. And you know, something that's interesting about the Christian faith and the Christian walk, your maturity is not necessarily indicative of how long you have been a Christian, how long you've been a believer. Uh, your maturity is how well and how deeply you know Christ. Last week we looked at the, the, the passage where, where Paul says, I count everything loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. And we looked at that, that language of knowing Christ and the intimate intimacy and the intimate relationship that is knowing Christ. And to grow in our maturity means that, that we grow in that intimate relationship with Christ. And so it's not necessary, it's not like, uh, it, it is not like, uh, any other relationship or any other growth, our growth in Christ is a direct, is directly indicative of how much and how intimate we know Christ, not necessarily in how long we've been a believer. I know people who've been believers for 30 and 40 years and aren't near as mature as Someone who is in Christ, who's only been a believer for a few years because they have a deep relationship with Christ. And so we need to, we need to understand that maturity in Christ is not necessarily indicative of how long we have been a believer. Philippians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 12 through 21 this morning. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained it, Or have already become perfect. But I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude... And if anything you have, and, and, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep on living by the same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind 
on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who whom will transform the body of our humble state into the conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has, even to subject all things to Himself. Let's pray. Fathers, we look at this passage and we attempt to glean truth. Lord, may You take Your Holy Spirit, may Your Holy Spirit apply this passage directly to our lives. May we understand what you have for us. May you understand how that we may grow in maturity. We thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. So as we look at this passage, Paul is going to give us a blueprint of how we grow in our faith in Christ, how we grow to maturity. And so as we do this, I'm going to point out there's there's, and, and I typically don't, don't preach like this. I typically don't uh, use this type of, of outline or communication. But there are three simple steps to gaining maturity in Christ. Uh, there, Paul is going to outline step one, step two, step three. He's going to say, this is what we do first, this is what we do second, and this is what we do lastly. And this will bring us to maturity in Christ. And so let us look at the very first thing that Paul does. And the, Paul begins this passage by highlighting this first step. He does it in chapter 12, verse 12 and verse 13. He begins, he begins verse 12. He says, not that I have already attained it. And then in verse 13, he says, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it. So one thing Paul does is he acknowledges his, his humility. He acknowledges his humbleness because Paul says, I have not achieved this. Now, I want to remind us where Paul is in his life as he is writing this. He has already planted... He has already planted churches all throughout Asia Minor. He has... He has writing this as he has been imprisoned for his God, for his uh, witness to the gospel. He has been beaten. He has been shipwrecked. He has been left for dead. He has been used by the gospel, used for the gospel to plant countless churches. He has already at this point written many letters to churches that would be canonized and be included in our Bible. So Paul at this point in his life, by our account, He's, he's accomplished it. He has achieved it. But I want us to understand what Paul says. He says, I have not accomplished it. I have not laid hold of it. I understand that, that while, yes, there have been many things that God has used me for, and many things that God has, has used me to be instrumental in the gospel, that, that there is still much that I need to gain and much that I need to know. Remember what Paul said just a few verses forward, or just a few verses before? He said, I still pursue the knowledge of Christ. I am still pursuing knowing Christ. And so Paul acknowledges his humility. The first step in maturing in Christ is understanding who we are and where we are on this process. And if anybody could have said, I have attained it, I have accomplished it, it would have been Paul. But Paul says, I've not attained it. I have not accomplished it. And this ought to be something that, that we as, as 21st century believers, we are keenly aware 
that we have more resources afforded to us than any time before in human history. If you want to know something, you Google it, right? You can, you can become, with, with just a little bit of effort, a theologian, a scholar, because at, the, at our fingertips we have commentaries after commentaries. We have, we have scholarly work. We have theological information that is at our beck and call. And, and it would be easy for us to have an arrogance about what we have achieved and what we know. And let me remind you what Augustine says. If you think you've figured out God, if you think you've understood God, you haven't. Because God, by His very nature, is unsearchable. What's interesting, the Scripture tells us that in glory, and I want you to try and wrap your brains around this, in glory, we will be forever increasing in our knowledge of who God is. We will be forever increasing in our intimate knowledge of, of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. We will continually grow in our understanding, and our love, and our, our relationship with Christ. Yet we will never exhaustively know all that there is to know about God. So what the Scripture tells us, is that for an eternity, we will continue to learn about God and yet never exhaustively know God. Contrast this to what Paul said in the last week's message. Galatians, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this, in his legalistic mindset as a Pharisee, in his religious mindset, listen to what Paul says. I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. I was circumcised on the eighth day in the nation of Israel from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is found in the law, blameless. Does that sound like someone who is epitomizing humility? No. Paul says, in my, in my religion, in my religiosity, in my zealousness, in my legalism, I was arrogant. I was prideful. I had, by all accounts, I had achieved it. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I had the Pentateuch memorized. I kept every letter of the law. And not only the letter of the Levitical law, but I kept the Shema, the law on top of the law. I was blameless. I had done everything right. Contrast that to what he says here, Philippians chapter 3. On the other side of the gospel, he says, not that I have laid hold of it. I have not attained it. A mark of maturity in Christ is humility. If you think you've got it, if you think you've understood it, if you think you understand Christianity, you think you understand Christ, you think you understand this, this pilgrimage, you haven't. You haven't. And the moment you think you've grasped some deep theological truth, back up and study it again because you haven't gotten it. Because God is unsearchable. He's unknowable. This humility does two things for the church. It, 
it reminds them, it reminds them of who they are and where they are. If, if Paul, the one who planted the church, has a spirit of humility, how much more so should we have a spirit of humility? But it does a second thing. It gives them hope. It gives them hope. How many of us in our daily lives have, have experienced failure, frustration, difficulty, and then we say, am I ever going to Am I ever going to accomplish this? Am I ever going to get past this, this struggle or this difficulty or this hardship or this grief or, or whatever it may be? And, and you feel like you, you've hit a wall after a wall and, and, and there's this, this, this feeling of despondency and despair. Have we ever been there? Has anybody ever been there? I know I have. And so when Paul says, I've not yet laid hold of it, I've not yet accomplished it, it encourages the church to know that our leader is walking this walk with us. He is experiencing the same frustrations, the same failures, the same emotions, the same hardships and trials that we are. John Bunyan writes a book called A Pilgrim's Progress. If you have not read A Pilgrim's Progress, read A Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan wrote this from prison. He writes this. It is an analogy of the Christian faith. And as he writes this book, as he writes this book, he writes and he talks about Pilgrim, Christian, who was on his way to the celestial city and he happens upon a sea of despondency and despair. And he is, he is caught in this quagmire of depression. And then he talks about how Christian meets someone named Worldly Wise Man. And initially he follows him and he buys into everything that Worldly Wise Man teaches him and tells him. Only to find out that Worldly Wise Man is a fool. And then Christian, on his way down the narrow path, on his way to the celestial city, he sees a lion ahead. And as he approaches that lion, that lion he realizes is called fear. And as he gets closer and closer, he realizes that there is a chain around that lion's neck that keeps him just off the narrow path. And that chain-binding fear is faith. This, This story is an encouragement For all of us who've walked, because John Bunyan realizes that every Christian is going to suffer through a time of despondency. Every Christian is going to suffer through that time whenever they follow bad advice from somebody who claims to know everything. Every Christian is going to suffer from that time whenever, whenever fear, it, it, it stand, it seemingly stands in their way. And the only thing that's going to allow them to get past that fear is their faith. That's what Paul is doing here. He's encouraging the church to say, you know what, guys? I haven't accomplished it either. I haven't figured this thing out perfectly yet. The first step in growing into maturity is realizing who we are and where we are. That we're on this journey. And yes, some of us may be further along this journey than others, but we are all in need of grace. Every one of us. The second step that Paul does. Paul tells us that we must forget and pursue. We must forget and pursue. In order to be successful in pursuit of holiness, 
we must forget and we must pursue. We must forget both our failures and our successes in order to accomplish what God has laid before us. I have coached my boys playing baseball for the last eight, nine years. And without fail, when an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old, when he hits the ball, the first thing he does is he watches that ball. He wants to see where it goes. He wants to see how far it goes. He wants to see if they catch it. He wants to see if they miss it. He wants to see, you know, he's, he's watching that ball. And as a coach, I scream my head off and, 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 and my wife and my children can attest. I am screaming the whole time. Stop looking at the ball. Why? Because as they are running, looking at the ball, they're slow. They're slower as they watch the ball because they're distracted. They are not paying attention to where they are going and what they are doing, and it slows them down. When we hit the ball, I tell them, when you hit the ball, don't worry about where the ball goes, just run. Put your head down and go. Whether they catch it or whether they miss it, whether it goes over the fence or whether it's a swinging bunt and it lands right in front of the plate. What am I trying to teach these kids? I'm trying to teach these kids that we have to focus on the job that's at hand. And so many of us as Christians, we miss this. We want to focus on our failures. We want to focus on what we've done that, that, that has caused us to be struggling or to be in this hardships, to be in this difficulty. We want to, fo- or we want to focus on the good old days. Do you remember when, do you remember when, when we would have this program and that program and this event and that event? Do you remember when there were hundreds and thousands of people being added to the church? You remember when we went on this crusade? You remember whenever we went on this mission trip and we want to focus on the good old days? Both of those things are detrimental to our faith. When we focus on our failures and we focus on on that which, which causes us hardships and trials and difficulties, we're unable to see the grace and the goodness that is right before us. When we focus upon the good things yesteryear, when we focus upon the good old days, we are unable to focus on that which God has given us to do today. When we hit the ball... We cannot look at where it goes. We've got to run. We've got to forget. And we've got to pursue. Paul says we must forget both our failures and our successes. I forget what lies behind. And I press on. I want us to notice the language that Paul uses here. I want us to notice the language that Paul uses here. Humility is not an excuse to become complacent. Humility and complacency are two completely different things. I've not yet attained it. I'm never going to attain it. So I might as well just sit sour and soak. Humility is not complacency. Look at what Paul says. Look at the language that he says. Look at verse 12 and verse 13 and verse 14. He says, not that I've already obtained it, but I press on. Verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it, but one thing I do, I forget And I reach, 
I reach forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, I press on, I pursue the goal that is before me. Is this someone who sounds complacent? No, they are pursuing, they are reaching, they are pressing on. All throughout the New Testament, Paul uses, he uses sports or, or physical fitness as an analogy. Go, to, go with me, if you will, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, a little bit of little known, even less cared about knowledge. Corinth was a place of the most, uh, of uh, the location of the second most popular games in the ancient world. The first most popular games in the ancient world were the Olympic games that were found in Olympia in Greece. The second most popular games were found in Corinth, and they were called the Corinthian games. They were real innovative with their, with their, Names. So during the Corinthian games, the Corinthian games were located in Corinth. And so Paul's audience would have been, would have been well aware, would have been well aware of athletic competition. This was something that was, that was in their blood. And so Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting verse 24. He says, Do you not know that those who all, those who run in a race, those do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way, not beating the air, but I buffet my body and I make it my slave. Lest I possibly, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself am, am disqualified. In Hebrews chapter 1, he said, Brethren, since we are surrounded by such a great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every sin and encumbrance which so easily entangles us, that we may run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him despised the shame and is set down at the right hand of the Father. Consider him lest you lose heart and grow weary. Paul uses this, this analogy throughout the, throughout the New Testament of, of running, of competing, and he does this, he does this to say, we cannot focus on that which has already happened. We must focus on that which is in front of us. It's the only way to grow. It's the only way to pursue. I tell the kids that are playing ball, I said, you have to have a short memory. When you boot that ball or you kick that ball or you strike out and you go up to bat the next time thinking about the strikeout or thinking about the error you made, you're going to have another error. You're going to kick it again. You have, to, you, have to, you have to forget about it. You have to flush it so that we can be focused to do what God has called us to do. And the only way that we can grow in our maturity in Christ's church is that we have to forget what lies behind. You say, but preacher, you don't know what I've done. No, but I know the grace of my God. And it doesn't matter what you have done. The only thing that matters is what He has done. We have to forget and we have to pursue. So the first step is humility, acknowledging who we are, The second step is forgetting and pursuing. Forget the good things. Forget how great things were in 1954. Forget how great things were whenever you got saved five years ago. Forget the good things. 
Not in a way that, 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 that we put it out of our mind, but that we don't focus on that. Forget the glory days and look forward to what God has for you today. Forget the failures. Forget the difficulties. Forget all the times you messed up and pursue. What's interesting, Paul acknowledges in chapter 3, this is an aside, Paul acknowledges that those who are mature in Christ never get past the gospel. They never tire of the gospel. They never grow beyond the gospel. Notice what he says in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained it or I've already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may, that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ. Paul, even at the end of his life, even as he's in prison, even as he has gone through trial and difficulty and hardships and victory after victory, Paul never gets past the gospel. He is constantly in awe of the gospel. He is constantly dwelling on the gospel. He is constantly reflecting on the gospel. He is constantly realizing in John chapter 10, verse 28, whenever Jesus said this of the Father, He says in John chapter 10, verse 28, I gave eternal life to them and they shall never perish. No, not one. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. For my Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Paul understood that my security in the gospel is not found in me, but it's found in my God. Paul understood in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says that God, that He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Paul understood and he wrote to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God demonstrated his great love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Paul never got over the gospel. You know how you forget what lies behind, church? Don't ever get over the gospel. Remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself of the cross. It doesn't matter what happened yesterday because of what Jesus did. We can never get over the gospel. Step one, humble, humility. We must acknowledge who we are. Step two, we must forget what lies behind and press on to what lies ahead. We must forget and we must pursue. Step three is the easiest. Paul says in Philippians chapter three, verse 17, he says, brethren, Join in following my example. Observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. He says, step three, be around people who are mature. If you want to be mature in Christ, be around people who are mature in Christ. Let me give you some life lessons, some some words of wisdom here this morning, church. If you want to be rich, hang around rich people and figure out what they do. You want to be married for 50, 60, 70 years old? Or for 50 or 60, 70 years? And you want to, you want to grow and you want to have a, a, a marriage that lasts? Don't hang around a bunch of people who've been married four or five times. You hang around a bunch of people who've been married four or five times, you know what? You'll probably end up being married four or five times. Hang around somebody who's been married for 75 years. 
Go take Brother Ed and Miss Tessie to lunch. Go take Miss Carol and Mr. Billy to lunch. They've been married 50, 60, 70 years. So how do I put up with my husband for that long? Go talk to Miss Carol. How do I put up with them? If you want to be married, hang out with people who are married. If you want to be wealthy, hang out with people who are wealthy and figure out what they're doing. If you want to be an evangelist, if you want to learn to share your faith, you don't need to take a class. You need to go hang out with somebody who shares their faith. You want to be compassionate. Hang out with people who are compassionate. You want to be a good mom. Look around and see who is the best mom that I know and ask her, can I come hang out with you? I'll come help you fold laundry. I'll come help you cook. Dad, you want to be a good dad? You want to be a good father? Be around people who are good fathers. Paul said, if you want to grow in Christ, you want to be mature in Christ, come follow my example. Follow the example of those around you who are living for Jesus. Solomon said it like this, a wise man hangs out with wise people, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Paul said it like this, He said, bad company corrupts good morals. Benjamin Franklin said it like this. If you go to sleep with dogs, you wake up with fleas. Young people, hear what I'm saying. It matters who you hang out with. Adults, hear what I'm saying. It matters who you hang out with. If you hang out with people who are who are drunks and and, and drug addicts and, and are going nowhere in their life, well then guess what? You're going to go nowhere in your life. Bad company corrupts good morals. Paul said, use us as our example. And then notice how he contrasts this. Notice how he contrasts this. He says, brethren, verse 17, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. And then he says this in verse 18 and 19. There are many who walk of whom I have often told you. He said, I've told you to stay away from these people. Uh, Now I tell you, even in tears, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross. How do we know they are enemies of the cross? Then he's going to explain it to us in verse 19. Whose end is destruction. Whose God is their appetite. Whose glory is their shame. They set their mind on earthly things. The contrast of those who are mature in Christ is they have their mind set on the things of God, on spiritual things. They have their mind set on their citizenship in heaven. They have their mind set on eternal things. You want to know if someone's mature in Christ? They have their mind set on things that are not of this world. Those who have their mind set on this world and the things of this world are not those that we want to emulate if we desire maturity in Christ. If we desire maturity in Christ, we must see the contrast between this world and the world that is to come. To know Christ is an intimate relationship with Him. It's easy, preacher. Step one, step two, step three. Humble ourselves. Forget what lies behind. Pursue what lies ahead. Surround ourselves and follow the examples of others. 
It's easy for me to stand up here and preach and tell you what to do. It's easy for me to give you step one, step two, and step three. But the problem is, preacher, is whenever I go home, I have real emotions and thoughts and battles in my mind. I feel alone. I feel wounded. I am plagued by the memory of my past failures. And the accuser of the brethren, the liar, stands and he feeds me lie after lie after lie. And it's hard to forget what lies behind. It's easy to say humble yourselves. But yet, I'm caught up in this, in this swell of, of arrogance and pride. It's easy to think that I have somehow done something to gain and to earn my, my favor with God. It's hard to find someone to follow and to be an example because there are so few that love the Lord and are walking in accordance with God's Word. Let me encourage you, church. You are not alone in this battle. John chapter 14. Paul says, I'm sorry, John chapter 14. The Gospel writer John, he says this, maturity in Christ, growing in Christ, is not something that we will do alone. Maturity in Christ is not passive, nor is it lonely. We are, by God's grace, provided a helper, a helpmate. In John chapter 14, Jesus, as He is giving His disciples, as He is giving His apostles their farewell instructions, He spends verse 14, 15, and 16 giving them their last instructions before He's about to be crucified and ascended into heaven. And in chapter 17, we see Jesus' high priestly prayer. He's just given them their instructions. And in chapter 17, He prays for them. And then chapter 18 through the end of the chapter, we see the, the the biographical information of that which takes place. He's put on trial. He's crucified. He's buried. He raises from the grave and He ascends into heaven. But 14, 15, and 16, He gives His disciples instructions. And this is what he says. I will ask the Father, and we know that if Jesus asks the Father, the Father gives him. If my son asks me for something, if it's at all humanly possible, I will give it to him. I will do it for him. And I'm an earthly father. How much so does our heavenly father? Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. In verse 26, it says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will, will call, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance everything that I have told you. Maturing in Christ is simple, but it's not easy. Acknowledge who we are. Forget what lies behind. Pursue what lies ahead. Surround yourself with those who are mature in Christ. It's simple, but it's not easy. And because it's not easy, God has promised us the paraclete, the helper, to guide us, to support us, 
to encourage us. And in those moments when you're in that slew of despondency, in those moments whenever worldly wise man is knocking at your door, in those moments whenever you're looking down that narrow path and the only thing you see in front of you is fear, God has promised us the Holy Spirit to help us, to guide us. And He says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you want to mature in Christ? Do you want to grow in Christ? Do you want to be closer to Jesus tomorrow than you are today? Ask. Jesus said, Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened. Jeremiah says, Any of you lacks, any of you. Jeremiah 33 says, Call to me and I'll answer you and tell you great and mighty things. James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives freely thereof. God wants us to ask Him for help. And He wants to give us His help through the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, You have promised us the, help, the helper, the paraclete. Lord, there are those in this, here this morning who want to grow in Christ. They want to be closer to Jesus tomorrow than they are today. They want to surround themselves with believers to encourage them to grow in their faith. But they need your Holy Spirit. They need your guidance, your direction. If that's you this morning, maybe you need to come down to this altar and get on your knees before God and ask Him for the Holy Spirit to guide you, to direct you, to strengthen you, to encourage you. Maybe you've been beaten up by your past failures. Or maybe you've been living in the glory days of yesterday. And you need to forget what lies behind. Understand that God has a purpose for you today. Maybe you need to come down to this altar and ask God to help you forget. Ask that helper, ask that Holy Spirit to help you forget what lies behind and push on to what lies ahead. Maybe this morning, God, by His great grace, has called you to humble yourself. Realize that I haven't accomplished it. I may have been a Christian for 20 years, but I'm not mature in Christ. Maybe this morning, God is calling you to a personal relationship with Jesus. To know Him in an intimate way. Whatever it is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart this morning, may today you find yourself obedient. God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to have His freedom to move in this place this morning. And we pray that your church may respond in obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.